Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. We have another great visit from Timothy P. Brown of FootballArchaeology.com as he discusses a recent tidbit on the extra point attempt in its history, especially with a forward pass. Tim's coming up in just a moment to tell us all about the great history, and you have the opportunity, like I do, to listen into the history. It's coming up. This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. Your host, Darren Hayes, is podcasting from America's North Shore to bring you the memories of the gridiron one day at a time. So as we come out of the tunnel of the Sports History Network, let's take the field and go no huddle through the portal of positive gridiron history with pigskindispatch.com. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, my football friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigskinDispatch.com. Welcome once again to the Pigpen, your portal to positive football history. And guess what? It's Tuesday again, and we are here with Timothy P. Brown of FootballArchaeology.com, and he has some great tidbits that he's had from uh, some of his past writings uh, that he's going to come on and chat a little bit about. And uh, tonight, we're going to be talking uh, about a very interesting one came from March. Uh, T- Tim Brown, uh, welcome to the Pigpen. Darren, good to see you again, and... Uh get a chance to chat about old-time football stuff always fun yeah old-time football there's nothing like it and uh, there's so much that we don't know about it that uh, your tidbits really bring to light and uh you know i I learned so much from really enjoy them and uh you always have something that uh, i'm going to take out of each one of those and uh you know store it in the old crock pot because it's something interesting from football (laughs) yesteryear and uh tonight is uh, no exception you really have an interesting one uh sort of a development of the game that uh in some cases we we still see today yeah uh you know so this one's about the the first extra point conversion by forward pass right and so you know there's a lot of stuff in in football that and you know some of the times you know when i'm writing stuff it's like well this was the first time this happened okay well this is the first time we know it happened <laughs> it could mm-hmm. be. in a number of cases you know did it happen another time before that could be you know and especially the earlier on we get the more it's dependent on you know uh, it happening when there was a reporter there, when they wrote it in the newspaper. So I just wrote, you know, fairly recently about the first crisscross or reverse in a uh, in a on, in a football game, and that occurred in 1888 at Phillips Andover, the prep school, you know, in the East. And but you know, big time school, wealthy kids, wealthy alums got reported in Boston newspapers, and therefore we know what happened. Did somebody else pull it off somewhere else beforehand? Could have been, but, you know, the received wisdom is this is when it happened. So now with the first uh, extra point conversion by forward pass, the timing is a lot easier to figure out that when that first happened, because um, until – 
1922, if you were going to convert the, you know, after scoring a touchdown, if you were going to do the goal after touchdown, you had to kick it there. You couldn't run it. You couldn't pass it. So it had to be by kick. So we know that it, it, the first conversion by pass couldn't have occurred until 1922. So then we get into, okay, well, when in 1922 did it happen? And so I at least don't have, I mean, try as I might, I could search every newspaper archive and comb through every book that I own. I don't have a real effective way to try to find that first time. So I'm, I kind of, in this case, I'm relying on a newspaper report from 1954. So a look back article saying, hey, here's what happened in 1922. Um, but the cool thing was it wasn't a high profile game. Um by two teams that you might not think of as high-profile teams nowadays, but in 22, they were. So it was the, a game, um, you know, kind of, you know, maybe fourth week of the season, um, a game between Lafayette and Washington and Jefferson. So, you know, nowadays you go, okay, Lafayette and Washington and Jefferson. Um, but at the time, Lafayette was riding a 17-game winning streak. Washington Jefferson was on a 17 point unbeaten streak. And I say unbeaten because they had tied California in the 1922 Rose Bowl or yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, so, um, so anyways, you know, they, um, you know, so really two top teams, you know, that are playing and they're playing in the polo grounds. So in until 1922, like it's you know you had to you had to kick it and typically people drop kicked it but they did the you know placement kick as well. Um, so then in twenty two you got the ball at the five yard line, um, and then um, you you could kick it you could you know drop kick it you could snap it to a holder and place kick it you could run it or you could pass it in you know for a touchdown or not for a touchdown but you know to to, to for the conversion. Um, but of course, you know, since it's starting from the five, the kick is probably your better option, unless you don't have a good drop kicker, or you don't have a good place kicker, a good snapper, or a good holder, right? So, um, as it turned out, so in this game, um, Lafayette goes ahead, uh, thirteen to nothing in the first half, and so you know, uh, Washington Jefferson's kind of chugging along a little bit. Um, but then in the third quarter, they score a touchdown and convert. So now it's 13 to 7. In the fourth quarter, uh, or Washington Jefferson's quarterback, a guy named uh, Brinkert, he throws a touchdown pass. So now it's 13-13 tie. And so the game depends on their ability to convert. So he had, the previous time they scored, he had drop kicked it. The quarterback had drop kicked for the extra point. So this time around, he sets up, you know, the team sets up just like he's going to drop kick again. They snap it to him. And one of their ends who are playing in tight as they typically did then, you know, scoots out into the end zone all alone and he tosses them the P and they convert the extra point by pass. So again, we think that's the first conversion by, uh, by forward pass. And, and they, you know, they ended up winning the game. That was, that was the last score of the game. And so uh, all the, um, you know, all the other, all the W and J fans 
leave happily and the uh, Lafayette fans are disappointed. So, but, so I have a trivia question for you, but if, about, Was well, about Washington Jefferson, but I'm going to set that aside to see if you want to cover, if you have questions about the game or anything like that we need to discuss. Well, I guess uh, one of the questions is not particularly about the the forward pass, but uh, it's it's right about that time as you you share in your story that and you just mentioned it. There's one of the ways was the, the kick for the extra point, similar to what we know today. Uh, maybe the scoring was a little bit different. Now, where's how was I'm interested in how the holder may have been because I know on free kicks the holder was laying flat on a, their stomach, which. I, I'm not exactly sure why why they laid on your stomach to do that. Uh, you know, we sit there. We have holders today for free kicks when on a windy day when in the NFL you have a holder on the ball. But I, I was just wondering, would, did they take a snap from their stomach? Well, the holder was on his stomach for those kicks, or was it more similar yeah. on a knee like we do today? Yeah, I think um, I, I've seen different versions of that. Um, initially, they may have tried to do the thing on the stomach, so. You know the the reason they did they did it on the stomach was at the, on the free kick, the defense had to be ten yards back of the ball, and so and as soon as as soon as the holder, or they used to call him the placer, but as soon as the holder set the ball on the ground, or as soon as the ball touched the ground, the defense could rush. So what they what the holder would do is lay prone. You know, you basically run on it. He'd lay on his stomach. Kind of perpendicular to the path of the kicker, right? And and then he he put one hand under the ball, one hand over the ball, and kind of balance it and kind of hold it right close to the ground. And then when the kicker was ready, he'd pull the underhand out, and then you know so the ball was sitting on the ground, held by his upper hand, and then the the kicker would come through, you know, follow the path and and kick it. So, you know, I think. You know exactly why it developed that way. It's you know kind of hard to know, but it does make sense. You know, I mean, in a, in a non or in a free kick situation, that particular method of holding makes sense. Now, once you introduce the the snap, um, so the snap to the holder that originated in 1896, um, and you know nobody. It's just one of those nobody thought about it before. Uh, so two brothers who, you know, were played at Otterbein in, in Ohio, developed it, and then it spread quickly. Uh, but they, but still, most people still drop kicked anyways, because that's what, you know, the guys were trained to do. So in those situations, I mean, early on, I believe mostly what they did was, um, you know, the football was still transitioning from rolling the ball on its side. There was still some of that. Or, or tumbling it, it back rather than really kind of a long snap like we think of it today. So they, um, a lot of times a holder would kind of squat like a catcher in baseball. And, you know, so that you could move a little bit to grab the ball and, and, and then set it down. And then they started switching to, you know, what we think of today as a holder's, I don't know what you call that position, you know, one knee on the ground or one knee raised. But, you know, I've got pictures of, of, uh, even into the late thirties, I believe it is. We've got a picture of like an Arizona, you know, player still doing it, the squatter, you know, the squatting catcher's way. So it probably depended on how accurate your, your long snapper was, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, it's one of those that 
you know, when now we think of the snapping position or the holder's position is that's the only way that makes sense. But, you know, they tried different things along the way. Well, definitely the, the catcher's position makes a lot of sense. You know, the adopting it from baseball, you know, you have a, a yep. wild pitch is much like a, a snap. You don't know where it's yep. going to go sometimes and they can maneuver a little bit and probably they probably had a guy that played catcher on the baseball team, maybe as a holder too, to he's familiar yep. from um, maneuvering that. So that yeah, makes a good sense. So, yep. all right, well, th- thank you for that. That's, that's a good explanation. So, okay. What, what, what do you got for your trivia question? Okay. So this may be, um, this is actually one of my favorite trivia questions, but you know, we've talked enough that maybe this is an obvious answer to you, but maybe not so much for your audience. So you probably should allow the audience a little bit of time to, to figure it out, figure it okay. out. So the question is, there are four teams that do not currently play FBS football that have played in the Rose Bowl game. So what are those four teams? Four teams that, that are not in the, the FBS currently that yeah. are that played in a Rose Bowl game. Yep. Okay, folks, before I answer, if you want to hit pause and uh, answer it yourself, and uh, I'm going to proceed to, to answer. I think I, I mentioned one of them earlier in the podcast. Okay, well, let me let me say, does it, does it count uh, military teams? Are you counting military teams in that? Yes, I am. Okay, all right. Well, <laughs> after spending uh, almost 50 days of Rose Bowl coverage just a few months ago, I hope I would get this right. So so I think uh, the Great Lakes team. Correct. Um, I'm going to say uh, Washington and Jefferson because we're, we're talking right. about them tonight. That's two. Um, let's see. Was it uh, Columbia? No. Oh, or no. Uh, Cornell, the other Ivy League. Nope, neither one of them ever played. Oh, well, Corn or Columbia played in the thirty-four. Yeah, Cl- Columbia. I must say, but it's not them. No, okay, Harvard because they're not FBS. Nope. No, okay. Um, trying to think who the other military team was that played in the World War One era. Um, great well, League. actually, okay. So I, I I asked the question. <laughs> <laughs> so it should be are currently not playing Division One because there are there are teams like. Harvard, Columbia, Penn, okay, all right, Peter okay, Penn, FCS, yeah, my okay, bad. okay, not a problem, no problem, all right, okay, so they're they're so they're play they're not playing in Division One football at all, so all right, so okay, so um, so you said Great Lakes W W and J W and J, um, I'm trying to think of the the military team from California that uh, <laughs> one um starts with an M and. It's, it, I tip my tongue on I'm not um it's like Maramon or something. And it's not yeah. So Mare Island. Mare Island, that's it. They played twice. They played in 18 and 19. And then mm. another military team. Great Lakes. I'm stumped on the last one. I'm stumped on the last military so, team. Great Lakes and Mare Island played in the 1919 game, and Mare Island and Camp Lewis played ah, in the, okay uh in the 18 game some camp lewis is sometimes referred to as 91st division because they were that's where that division was stationed but okay you you, you took away my easy bunnies with the ivy league schools i, I thought i had to, yeah to well, yeah i screwed up with that the way i asked the question <laughs> so i apologize and to all, all the listeners that are you know scouring their brains I, trying to figure out 
the answer. Yeah, so we should have been like F FBS or FCS schools or not. Yeah, or just D1. So D1. normally, you know, so there's some people who, when I ask this question, people are either just draw a blank or they might know, oh, there's these military teams. But hardly anybody knows that, about Washington and Jefferson. They're, they're typically the toughest one. Uh, the only reason I know about Washington and Jefferson is because I'm uh, in the process of doing a lot of research on a book that has a lot of W&J players in it. But although from the uh, late 1890s and early 1900s, they played with W&J, but I have a couple of books on W&J football. It's, uh, you know, kind of still in my, fresh in my mind. So I know I, they yeah, played. And you're, you're a PA guy anyway. So. That's right. They're Western, Western PA team. So the, the further south, southern team from us, I think you can be in Western PA and we're the furthest north. But, hey, that's true. Hey, great question, though. I uh, really like that. That was a good one. So, Tim, uh, your tidbits are, you know, bringing up items like this constantly every single day, sometimes a couple times a day. Uh, why don't you share with the listeners how they, too, can share in on all the fun on hearing these? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, best way is just to go to my website, footballarchaeology.com, subscribe. And that by doing that, you'll you'll get an email every night at like seven o'clock. Um, I may actually push that a little bit later. But anyways. We'll get an email that uh, with, you know, with the story for that, that evening. Um, and, you know, if you, if you don't, you know, want the emails, then just uh, you can follow me on, on Twitter. Uh, though that's becoming less and less useful <laughs> as the days go on. I, I even did a blue check mark, which, you know, I normally wouldn't have done, but you know, that doesn't seem to help. <laughs> Uh, I did the same and uh, had mixed mixed results myself, but uh, we'll we'll see how it goes. <laughs> so, all right, Tim, I appreciate it, and uh, we'll talk to you again next week with some more great football history. Hey, thank you, sir. I appreciate it and look forward to it. That's all the football history we have today, folks. Join us back tomorrow for more of your football history. We invite you to check out our website, pigskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleat Marks Comics. Pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history. Special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, football fans. This is Ross, the host of the Pigskin Tales podcast. I just need a few moments of your time to talk about the host of the Pigskin Dispatch podcast, Darren Hayes. He's expanded the pig pen to search out information on the history of all team sports. It's a quest to find out about the competitors, teams, and places chronicled throughout athletic history through the uniforms and gear the participants used and wore. And he is taking you, the listener, with him on this educational journey to preserve sports history on the Sports Jersey Dispatch, found here on the Sports History Network. His newest podcast, called Jersey Dispatch, 
is all based on the jerseys that all the greats used to wear. You can find Darren Hayes and the Pigskin Dispatch podcast, as well as Jersey Dispatch, on your favorite podcast provider multiple times each week. So remember that, Darren Hayes, the host of the Pigskin Dispatch and Jersey Dispatch podcasts. It's found right here on the Sports History Network. 